welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. With that being said, let's go ahead and dive into the Word. Amen. Um, uh, I want to start off by asking uh, this um, to the married men in here. Um, how, how do you respond? What's the proper response? Married men, uh, look, Tommy's smiling because he knows where I'm going with this. What's the proper response? What is the proper response when your wife comes to you and asks you, does this makeup make me look good? Does this makeup make me look good? What is the proper response? Well, all right, we've got, we've got some seasoned, we've got seasoned married people in this room, right? All right, we've got some people who have not been married for very long. So you people that are married have been married for, you know, one to three years. You might, without hesitation, might say, yes, that makeup makes you look good, right? Don't do that, all right? Don't do that, all right? Because you, you might get the look and say, um, you saying, I don't, you saying I don't look good without makeup? A little bit more seasoned husbands might say to their wives, uh, baby, baby, you look good without the makeup. You don't need the makeup. Don't say that. And the reason why you don't say that is, well, what did I just spend the last hour for? You saying I don't look good now with makeup on? So don't, don't say that. It is a mistake. It's not a proper response to hesitate. Don't hesitate, guys. Don't hesitate. If there's any hesitation, then you're going to get it. I've been married for almost 15 years now. We're coming up on 15 years now. You people who have been married a little bit longer than me might have a better response, so let me know. But I think the proper response to, does this makeup make me look good? The proper response to that is, I'm sorry, because you know she's trying to trap you in a, in, 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 in a, in a, in a situation here. And so you've done something wrong, so that's why she's trying to trap you. So my response would be, I'm sorry. I don't know if that's the proper response or not. Uh, some, like I said, some of you older people might be able to give me a little bit of advice on that. Uh, but I still don't know if I have the right answer on that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> play like you didn't hear. Yeah, that, that, might, that, that might work, right? And so Acts chapter 3, the reason why I say this this morning, a little funny anecdote, okay? is uh, uh, the, the question that we're going to seek to answer is what, are the, what is the proper response to God? What is the proper response to God? We're going to look at Acts chapter 3 going into Acts chapter 4 today, and we're going to look at a few different responses that people have to, to, to God. And we're going to look at the ones that are proper and the ones that are improper responses to God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 3. This is going to be a little bit different. Normally, I, uh, I stand up and uh, I exposit the text. We do a deductive sermon. We do give you the, the main points up front. We, we answer the question up front. But this narrative lends itself to a, a type of preaching where, uh, where I can go a little bit more illustrative in the story and illustrate from the story itself. Okay, so that's basically what we're going to do uh, today. Uh, there was once a mother uh, who was pregnant. She was excited about her baby. Um, you, you parents have been there, right? Especially first-time parents. She's, this mother was wondering, okay, is this child going to be a boy or a girl? Um, what's the, what, what, what is this child going to be like? Who's, uh, who's this child going to look like? 
uh, what's this child gonna gonna do when 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 they grow up and and uh, what's this child gonna do for 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 a job? Um, will this child be attached to me? Uh, will this child uh, uh, be a, a a loving, uh, caring person? Will he grow up to be a, a loving, caring person? Uh, anticipation for an unborn child uh, can be a, a very exciting time, can it not? Uh, and so this particular mother, she's pregnant, and uh, she's pregnant with this child. She's anticipating with great excitement the, the, the birth of this child, and the time comes where this child is going to be born. Now, this was back in the time before OBGYNs. This was back before uh, the time of hospitals. This was back before the time of uh, medication and, and ultrasounds and all the good things that we have today uh, back in this particular time. And uh, uh, so a midwife would, would come to the place of residence and you would give birth uh, right there and, uh, and, 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 and have it's, it's a very nervous, exciting time. So the time for the baby to be born uh, uh, comes, comes to, to pass. And as the baby's being born, there's some complications. And as the complications uh, arise, and she's going through the complications, a fight ensues for this baby's life. Oxygen supply gets cut off to the brain for a little while, and this baby is left with permanent damage. It's very clear as this child grows up, the child's not able to roll over. The child's not able to crawl properly or walk at all. And the mother immediately knows what the fate of the child is going to be. Because back in this time, in the time that this child was born, there's a culture not of government assistance, not of welfare, not of, not, not of disability, um, but a disabled person uh, had to fend for themselves. And this is a, a time of uh, agrarian culture, it, mainly agriculture, hard physical labor, so someone who is disabled, who can't walk, um, is, is, is going to suffer the fate of being a beggar. And she knows this about her child. And she grows up, or he grows up in a household with loving parents and loving grandparents. And as he grows up, the mother worries, anxious, worry, worry, because he knows, she knows, at the end of the day, when she's too old to take care of him and his siblings move out of the house and get families and lives of their own, he's not going to have anybody to look after him. So the time does come. The mother and father, they get too old, and the grandparents, they get too old to take care of this baby. The brothers and sisters have moved out, and now he's left to beg. That's his, that's his, that's his, that's his lot in life. Today, we come to Acts chapter 3, and we meet a lame beggar here in Acts chapter 3, whose story is probably, most likely, not unlike the story that I just told you. Probably very similar. He's a lame beggar. Every day, he wakes up and he has to have help getting dressed. Every day. He has to depend on his family members and his friends to pick his cot up before wheelchairs and handicap access and ramps, to pick his cot up and to bring it to the place where he's going to remain for the entire day. He depends solely 
on the mercy of other people throughout the day as he begs for money and as he begs for provision. This is not by choice he has to do this in this culture. He has to do this in this society. This is his daily routine. In this particular beggar here in Acts chapter 3, we get to, he sets himself up. He's very smart. He's a smart guy. He sets himself up at a, a, a gate called the beautiful gate. It's the gate going into the temple in Jerusalem. Now, on the outside of this gate is the, inner, is the outer court. And on the outer court is where anybody could be. Gentiles, God-fearing Gentiles could be, and they could worship God. It holds, I mean, we're not talking about just a small court. It holds thousands upon thousands of people, and normally it's a very busy place. This gate leads into the inner court where only Jewish people are allowed to go. Jewish men and women are allowed to go, and there's a place inside of that where only Jewish men are allowed to go. So this is beautiful gate separates the inner court and the outer court. And this lame beggar, this one who's, 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 who's now on his own and he's begging for money, sets himself up at this gate called beautiful. This gate called beautiful is no small gate. It's massive. It's about 70 feet, 75 feet tall and about 60 feet wide. Now, um, Adam uh, was walking through the sanctuary the other day and saw me probably with a tape measure and I measured out 60 feet in this room. Uh, just to give you a, a, a reference, uh, from the start of that carpet right there, all the way to that back wall is approximately 60 feet. Approximately 60 feet. So if you imagine that pretty much that whole wall there is the, is the width of that gate that he's at. And he's laying there at that gate and he's begging for people. He's begging for money because he has to. And some people give. Many do not, not unlike today. And I'd imagine the thousands of people that he's come encounter, that he's encountered over the years that he's at this gate, the thousands of people that he's encountered. The tradition says this guy's about 40 years old. So he's probably been here for years. Uh, the Bible doesn't quite say that, but tradition says that. Maybe he sees a family walking in. He's laying at the gate and he sees a family walking in, and the father stops. This is all illustrative. This is not in the text. I'm just telling you this so that you can understand. Does that make sense? I'm just uh, telling you this so that you can get a mental picture of where this guy's at. Perhaps uh, a, a man walks in with his family and bends down to his little boy and says, look, son, God has commanded us to give to the poor and to the needy, and this man is poor and needy. We need to give to him. He gives his son a few copper coins and says, come on, let's go. And he walks up to this lame man who begs for money. And he lets his boy give him the, the money. And they disappear into the inner court, out of sight. And this beggar's still begging. A couple, newly wed couple, walks in into the temple. And they're making their way to the inner court to worship. And this man asks them for food. And the man pretends like he doesn't see him and picks up the pace and walks to the inner court. A situation that this man's all too familiar with. He's laying there at the gate. And he sees two men making their way up the stairs. He says, I'm going to ask them for money. And he stops the two men and he says, can you spare a little bit of coin for me? 
The two men stop. And they walk their way up to him and they gaze at him, make eye contact with him, look at him. And he thinks, they're going to give me money. They're going to give me money. Perhaps it's more than just copper. Perhaps it's silver. Whoa, no wait. Gold. Maybe they might even give me gold. This would, this would help me out a lot if they gave me gold. The man looks at him in the eye. One of the two men looks at him in the eye and he says, I don't have any silver and gold for you. And it deflates the man's balloon. He thought he was going to get something special. He thought he was going to get something good out of this. And the man continues to talk and he says, but what I do have, I give to you. He looks at the man straight in the face. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the lame man's laying there and he's like, this, what? This doesn't even make sense. Before he could even think anything further, the man reaches down and grabs him by the right arm and starts to lift him up. And this lame man does not know what's going on, and he feels something suddenly that he's never felt before. He feels strength, and he's able to stand up. He's, I don't know what, what's going on. And he's walking around. He's, he's able to take a step. He's able to jump. He starts leaping, and he bends down on his knees, and he starts sobbing, and he's saying, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, God. Thank you for the healing. Thank you. And out from the crowd now, imagine there's a man. This story's not in the text either. It's just meant to be an illustration. We're, we're meant to see the crowd's reaction, but this is a very, very likely reaction of someone that might be in the crowd. Just, just giving you that caveat. There's a particular man out in the crowd. He comes every week on this day for the hour of prayer. That's why he's there, for the hour of prayer. He was making his way into the inner court when he hears crying and he hears shouting and he hears gasps from the crowd. <gasps> what, what, what? And so he gets up, he starts looking around and he asks the old lady that's standing next to him, he says, what's going on? What's the commotion that's going on? What, what is everybody gathering around this circle for? What is this commotion? And she said, these two men, did you not see it? These two men, they healed this man. They have special powers or something. And she said, he said, what? So he's looking across the crowd, and he sees the man. He sees a man who's standing up. He's feeling his legs. He's feeling the muscle that was not there just, just one minute ago. He's feeling this, and he's jumping around, and he's walking around. And the man looks back to the woman in the crowd, and he says, All I see is this lunatic, this crazy man who's feeling his legs and walking around and crying and, and praising God. He's, he's crazy. And she says, He's not crazy. Look at him. You know him. Man looks back at this, these three people up on the top of the steps by the gate. And he sees, he stares at this man who's feeling his legs, jumping around and walking around. He looks at this man and he says, I know him. I recognize him. Every week I come in here for the hour of prayer on this day. 
And I've seen him lying by the gate every day. He looks at the woman next to him. He says, but how? How? How did he, how did he just gain the ability to stand and to walk and to leap and to jump? How did he do that? And she said, look, these two men, they're magical. They, 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 they must be from God. They must be holy prophets of God, more powerful and more holy than any of us. They must be prophets of God. And one of these two men, they, he speaks up and everyone hushes and they listen to one of these two men that did the healing. And he says this, Acts chapter 3. Let's get into it. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 12. This is what the man says. Second half of the verse. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over to Pilate. When Pilate had decided to release him. But you denied. You denied the holy and the righteous one. And you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. Whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses of what you have done. We are witnesses to what you have, have proclaimed that you wanted this man dead and you wanted a murderer freed. We are witnesses to this. And by his name, this man's name, Jesus, the, the name of this one that you had killed, by faith in his name, he has made him strong, whom you now see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And a silence comes over the crowd. And the man is in the crowd. Fear comes over him. A dread, a white fear comes over him. And the reason why is because just a couple months ago, he was there in Pilate's court. In Pilate's courtyard, he was one of the ones hollering, release Barabbas, crucify him, crucify Jesus. He was one of the ones in the crowd that day in Pilate's courtyard. He was one of the ones hollering, crucify him. And by this power of this man, this man who was once lame is now healed. And now these two men are claiming that this, that this thing that only God could do, this man has been raised from the dead. And now, surely, surely, he's going to be coming after revenge. And he's going to be coming after his enemies, the very ones that put him to death. The very ones that hollered, crucify him. The very ones that said, kill him, kill him, kill him, release the murderer to us. Surely, he's going to come after revenge. And the preacher continued, verse 16. But this is what was uttered, the pro- oh, sorry, wrong chapter. And his name, or verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfill. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing 
may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven and earth must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for uh, for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from all the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant of God that, uh, that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, send him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. The man begins to tear up in the crowd. Jesus This man called Jesus wasn't coming for revenge. He was coming to forgive. He was coming to bring life. He was coming to bring times of refreshing for his enemies. He wanted to make his enemies his friends. And then... As this man is thinking that, he sees motion out of the corner of his eye and he sees the crowd kind of splitting apart. And he looks and turns to see what, what is going on. Why is this crowd splitting apart, going toward the man? And he hears a voice. He says, move it, move it, get out of the way. And he looks and he sees the captain of the temple, the, the one that's second in command over the temple, the one that's right under the, the, the high priest. He sees the captain of the temple He sees some Sadducees, some religious leaders, members of the Sanhedrin, the very ones whom Jesus stood before in council. He sees sees temple guards there, and they're heading straight for these three people that are on top of the stairs by the the gate beautiful. And they walk up to to these two men, and they look at them and they say, why are you preaching such nonsense to these people? Why are you preaching such nonsense? The resurrection is not real. The resurrection didn't happen. Come with us. And they arrest them. And as they're being brought away, the man is still crying. He wants to know more about how Jesus wants to forgive him. And obviously, everybody in the crowd or a lot of people in the crowd are the same way. They're cheering up too. They're, all, they're wanting to know more about this Jesus. And, and, and they're also followers of this Jesus in the crowd because they pull people aside and explain to them and pray with them and lead them into a relationship with God. And in chapter 4, verse 4, look at it with me. But many of those who had heard the word in that crowd believed. And the number of the men, and the number of the men came to about five thousand. That's amazing. Why do I tell you a story like this? Why do I put it to you in this way? It's because sometimes we can read passages like this and forget that this is a very real story with real people and real backgrounds who were really affected by this moment. We often overlook the realness of the story. And when we do that, we miss the significance of the main theme and the main point that the writer is trying to get by telling us the story. We can come to conclusions, yeah, 
about the main themes and the main points when we read, but when we understand the realness of the story, when we see what they see, when we smell what they smell, when we hear what they hear, we can better grasp what is trying to be communicated to us. And the question that I gave you at the very beginning is this. What is their proper response to God? And we're going to look at five. Five responses here. We're going to make determinations about which is right and which is wrong. You guys still with me? Maybe you like Peter and John. Peter and John, they just experienced Pentecost. They're on fire for the Lord. We looked at last week how, how uh, last couple of weeks, how they, 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 the church was formed and how they were united together, how they went to the temple daily. Do you, do you remember this? They go to the temple daily, and now they're walking into the inner court. And all of a sudden, they see this lame man, and the Spirit says to them, do something. They are moved by God. To have a burden for this seemingly insignificant man. Notice, they don't go up to the, to, to the Sadducees. They don't go up to the high priest. They don't go up to the temple guard. They don't go up to the captain of the temple. They don't go up to the quote-unquote important people in the temple. God says to them, go to this guy. This guy that honestly is probably one of the most overlooked people in the temple. Because he's laying there. Begging, lame. Go to that person. How did they respond? They had two choices. They could either respond and say, "Ah, now I, I feel that, but I, I, I don't, I don't have many, I don't have any money anyway. I'm just not gonna, I'm just not gonna give. I'm not gonna, or I, I'm in a hurry. I got to meet some of the other believers. I'm, I can't, I can't deal with that right now." They didn't respond in that way. The second option that they had was respond in joyful obedience. Respond in joyful obedience. And because of their obedience, God used Peter and John to accomplish the miraculous, which did its purpose. It drew a a crowd so that Peter could preach the gospel to the entire crowd. It did what it was supposed to do. It drew people in. And it gave them authority, it gave their message authority, and it showed the authority of Jesus Christ. And because of their joyful obedience, that's what happened. Now, I want you to think about how, uh, what, what would have happened if, the, if jo- Peter and John would have been disobedient here. If Peter and John would not have been obedient to the, to the, to the yearning, to the pulling of the Holy Spirit, how, how, would, how would that have affected? Well, 5,000 men, including women and children, so probably about eight, ten thousand 10,000 people, would not have come to know the Lord. That's a, that's a big number, right? It's huge. Not only that, but because of what they did, if they would have been disobedient, they wouldn't have got arrested there. Well, what, what's the big deal about that? That sounds like a pretty good thing, not getting arrested, right? But because they got arrested, we see in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 41, or through 31, that they, they praised God when they were arrested. The church, I'm talking about, the other church members, the other believers praised God when they got arrested. And their faith, their boldness grew because of this one event. 
And the word, because of this, this event, spread like wildfire. It is so, so important that we see that it, is, it was essential that Peter and John be obedient to God. And so the obvious question is this, how obedient are we when the Holy Spirit moves on us? When the Holy Spirit causes us to, 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 to share the gospel with someone who we come in contact with? To maybe provide for someone who we come in contact with. Are we obedient to God, to the Holy Spirit? And we can't think and can't even fathom and imagine the ways that God would move when we are just obedient to Him. Amen? When we are obedient to God, He does great things. Because God chooses to use us. Could God have healed this man without Peter and John? No doubt. No doubt. But he chooses to use you. He chooses to use, to, to use me. He chooses to use human beings to do work. This is great news. You know why? Because if God gives the task to us, he's not going to leave us hanging. And he's not going to leave us in the dark. He's going to give a task to us, and sometimes, yes, that task may seem like it fails. But if we're obedient, it has not failed. It has accomplished what he has set out for it to do. When we preach his word and give the gospel, we have not failed. You know, really, the only way we have failed is when we don't do it. When we refuse to, 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 to listen to God, when when, when he moves us to do something or to speak to someone about the gospel, we fail when we keep our mouth closed. We fail when we don't act. So a proper response to God, you can write this down if you're taking notes. A proper response to God is joyful obedience. Joyful obedience. Notice I said joyful obedience, right? I love whenever I ask my children to pick up the mess that they've so graciously made in my living room, leaving shoes and book sacks and all that all over the place. I'm not trying to call you out, but all kids do it, right? And I call them to pick up their mess. Oh, come on. No, no. Do they do it? Yeah, but not with a good attitude. Notice I said joyful obedience, right? The Lord loves it when we are joyfully obedient to him. Maybe you're like the lame beggar, right? Maybe the lame beggar, um, what, what, what was so significant about him? He couldn't walk and he got healed, right? God used this lame beggar, the healing of this lame beggar to do what? To draw a crowd in and to, and to draw an audience in for the hearing of the gospel. And I know what you, you might be thinking, well, um, yeah, I can't really heal a, 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 a lame person. <laughs> I can't really go into the, into the hospital and, and, and heal a sick person. I can't, I can't heal a deaf person. Just because you can't do that doesn't mean that God doesn't do the miraculous in your life. In fact, I would submit to say this, that if you are a believer, that God has already done a miraculous work in your life. And that miraculous work is meant to draw other people in. Why? So that you can give a defense of the hope that you have within you. As a Christian, your life 
should stand out so far different than the world that people are looking at your life and, and saying, what is going on? They might look at your life and say, that's a crazy person. Or they may look at your life and say, I hate that person because, because that person seems like such a this, 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 and this. Or that person might look at, or the world might look at you and say, uh, I, I, I noticed the difference in that person. I want what that person has. Whatever the response is, they notice. And you look different than the world. This man, God did the miraculous in him. And there was something different about him, wasn't there? And it drew a crowd. And now he's praising God. What was his response? A life of praise. How do you do this? What are some practical things that you do? I'm just going to give a few examples. Hope in the midst of losing a spouse. People see that. Stories of provision, the way that God has provided for you, when you are living less than paycheck to paycheck. Stories of God's provision speaks volumes. The unbelievable kindness and generosity you show to a single mother who's barely making it by. I know these are are specific examples, but they're things that speak volumes. There are things that God works through us to draw that crowd an overwhelming confidence in the face of cancer, unspeakable joy in the face of turmoil, of steadfast love to resolve to do the things of God even when everyone else around you is doing something different. It stands out. We show the miraculous. Those things in itself, they're not miraculous. Me giving $10 to someone that, that needs it, is, that's not a miraculous thing. But it is an evidence of a changed heart. It's an evidence of, of a work, of a miraculous work that God has done within you, and it draws a crowd. The proper response is number two. The proper response to God is a life of praise. A life of praise. Maybe you're like the crowd. Some of this crowd was the same ones who put Jesus to death. Think about that. Same ones. Some of them are the same ones. This crowd's going about their normal everyday life, going about their business, and they did not expect to see a man healed that day, did they? <laughs> they, did not see, did not, they didn't expect to see something miraculous that was going to happen, and they certainly didn't expect that healing to come from this man who they thought was still dead. Remember the religious leaders? They spread the rumor, right? The disciples went, they stole the body in the middle of the night, right? They still think this man's dead, but they certainly didn't expect that healing to come from this man. Friend, you may be feeling the, 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 the feeling of a tugging on the Holy Spirit. And you realize that your life doesn't live up to the standards that God calls it to live up to. And you might be thinking, man, I'm in my sin. I have been that enemy against God. I know I have disobeyed God. I know that I have rebelled against God. I know that I have rejected God. You know, I may come to church. 
I may be here, I may be present doing this, but if I'm real with myself, I know that I'm just trying to gain God's, God's approval, and I, I just, I've been doing this for a while, and I don't feel like I could do it. I don't feel like I could gain God's pr- approval. And the reality is, is that on your own, you can't. And this is what's so good about what Peter preached. Repent, therefore, and believe. Believe in Jesus Christ because he has done it for you. He wants to make you right with God. Repentance and belief. Look at verse, at verse 19 again. Chapter 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repent means more than just turning away from sins. It means turning to God. A life turned away from sins and a life turning to God. And belief means that you must trust Jesus, not only that he can forgive you of your sin, but that he offers you the salvation and eternal life with Jesus Christ or with with the Father. The proper response, this is number three, the proper response to God is repentance and belief. Repentance and belief. Now let me get get to a couple improper responses. We've got a few minutes. Perhaps you're like the Sadducees here. Look what they did in chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. I want to see this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming Jesus uh, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody for the next day, for it was evening. What did they respond with? They responded with annoyance. They responded with hostility to the message of the gospel. And I am begging you now not to respond like that. I am begging you not to respond by the rejection, rejecting God and rejecting what Christ has done for us. This is exactly how the Sadducees, the Sadducees thought they knew the answer, but they in the end rejected God, not only with their mind and with their beliefs, but with their actions as well. They rejected Jesus Christ as Lord, and they rejected Jesus Christ as being all-sufficient and all-authoritative. And, and sometimes we can speak that. Sometimes we can say, I believe in Jesus. I know Jesus. I, I can believe in him. But our life and our lifestyle lives like we don't, right? The improper response to God is doubt and rejection. Doubt and rejection. And finally, this is where so many in our, in our culture fall today. Notice in verse 4 of chapter 4, it says that many came to believe after they heard the word. What does it not say? It doesn't say all, does it? It says many came to believe. There's people in that crowd that did not believe when hearing the gospel. What kind of response did they have? Well, simply, no response. No response. They just went about their normal day, their normal time in the temple, no response. But I'll tell you that no response is just as dangerous as rejecting God. Because in reality, that's what it is. Uh, 
Sometimes we leave out of messages like this and we hear the word of God preached. Listen, listen very close. We hear the word of God preached. We, 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 we celebrate the, 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 the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made in, in the Lord's Supper. We, we see all these things. We see baptism, a picture in baptism of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the death, burial, and resurrection. We see these things, guys. And sometimes people can sit in churches, in church buildings, and see this time after time, but still reject it, still, still have no response. Listen, I believe, and this is totally biblical, I believe this, is that every time the Word of God is preached, and every term, time the Word of God is read, and every time the Word of God is taught, it demands a response from you. It demands a response from you. Whether that response is increased affections for God, whether that response is glorifying and praising God, whether that response is, is, is repentance and belief, whether that response is a recommitment and a rededication, it demands a response from you. And no response is a response of rejection. And all too many times, listen, us Christians, we deal with it, don't we? Because we sit in here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we listen to the word. And sometimes if we're not careful, it can become routine and mundane and we can hear the word and, 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 and we can just sit here and we can think, I wonder where I'm going to go for lunch. I can't wait for him to shut up and finally pray so that I can get out of here and, 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 and go, go watch the Super Bowl, get, go get ready for the Super Bowl. And I pray to God that's not you. I pray to God we have a little bit more, 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 uh, a compa- more passion and more uh, 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 a zeal for the word of God. That it, when it's being preached, we're asking ourselves, Lord, or we're asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want to change in my life in this word? How do you want to affect my life? Listen to it. The, the one up here is not, is, 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 is not uh, uh, immune from guilt. Uh, I am just as guilty. Because there are times where I sit through teachings and preachings and, 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 and I don't ask that question of the Lord. Lord, how can you change me? Change me through your word. Listen, if you really believe that this is the word of God without error, you're going to, you're going to respect it enough and value it enough to ask, Lord, what do you want to teach me today? Is that your prayer on Saturday nights? Just, 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 just getting real. Is that your prayer on Saturday nights? Lord, I know I'm going into worship tomorrow. Speak to me. Like, I, I want to hear from you. I want to I know you more. These people had an Im- improper response of no response. So here's, a, here's, here's the bottom line. Be joyfully obedient to God when he's moving on you. On his word. Live a life that is just overflowing with praise for God. You've got to get yourself right, right? You've got to, 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 to change your mindset sometimes. Live a life of repentance and belief, honoring the word of God. Don't reject it. Don't just don't have any response to it. But let the word of God seep in your heart so deeply that you have response to him. Therefore, look more like Christ. Draw a crowd and preach a gospel. Amen? Let's pray.